This is from Philippians chapter 3. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. But what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and some, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's grab a seat. It's interesting that every culture has characteristics to it that make it unique. And it's very difficult to see your own culture. As a Pākehā New Zealander, it's a struggle to see my own culture, but when you go into other cultures, you really see uh, some of the distinctives and beauty of that culture. Um, you know, the Dutch are known for being a bit reluctant to part with money. Not sure I haven't met uh, too many Dutchies myself. The French are known for relaxed enjoyment of wine and good food. Uh, when we lived in South America, it was a very distinct culture. Uh, and I loved um, how relational it was. I loved that they were passionate about napping in the afternoon. And, uh, and they had late night barbecues just about every night. Um, it's interesting the number of South Africans that have come to New Zealand recently and, and a large number in our church. And man, they're very diligent and hardworking people and sometimes quite direct. Um, <laughs> there's so much uh, to learn about uh, and appreciate about our um, tangata whenua, our Māori culture, their connection to land, their incredible culture around grief and celebration and how much that can teach us. And in general, probably the thing I love the most is just how much they crack me up all the time. Every time I seem to hang up my Māori brothers and sisters, I just wind up giggling about something very quickly. Um, and, uh, I, and so um, I've got, I want to say this morning, and, and, and Lord give me grace, because this was a talk written 30,000 feet in the air with no access to all my usual resources, so... Grace and peace, Lord, may you be glorified this morning. But I want to talk this morning about what it looks like to have a kingdom culture. Because we're not here to build the New Zealand culture. We're here to build the kingdom's culture, the kingdom of God. Now, the beauty about the kingdom's culture is that it causes every distinct culture within it to flourish. So it's not a monoculture, it's a culture of diverse cultures, but together all of those cultures will flourish, especially if you read Revelation in the age to come, there's still distinct cultures in the age to come. But there's a very distinct thing that unites them as a kingdom culture. And one of the things I want to speak to this morning is that this is a passionate culture. The kingdom of God is a culture of passion. And I love passionate people about just about anything. Like I've got a mate of mine, Rob Hurd, who's super passionate about modular synthesizers. And like you hang out with him, and I, I'm just re not remotely interested about modular synthesizers. But his eyes light up and his body gets all animated as he talks to me about these little modular synthesizers that he hangs out with. Amy's dad, Al, is here. He's my favourite guy in all of New Zealand, without a doubt, to preach to. It makes me sound like I've got an international ministry. Oh, who's your favourite? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> 
I just love it because the guy's passionate about Jesus and he has been through suffering, through decades of faithfulness. And I'm like, I want to be like Al when I grow up because that's normal kingdom culture. And so I'm looking like, yes, Al's here this morning. I get to preach because occasionally a couple of times a year, Al comes to our church and I get to preach with Al in the congregation and it's nothing but a joy because anything that you say that's remotely good, he's like, take me deeper. He's like, for more Lord. Um, and as you know, I've spent the last uh, week in the United States of America, so it's the first time I've properly been in that culture. And it was interesting observing that this is a, there's a lot that we can critique about the American culture, but they are a passionate people. And it was really like I could see it, it was striking the contrast. Um, especially we had um, one of the boys is really into American football, and so he bought these tickets to go to this college football game. It's like EIT. You know, it's a, a it's a it's a university football game, and I was like, ah, oh, whatever. I suppose it'd, you know, be good to eat American hot dog, or whatever. And so he, and then he accidentally realised, oh no, it's not in Portland. It's in the city about three or four hours away. Now again, in America, that's like just you go drive to get some milk a couple of hours, no dramas. But and he's like, whoa, man. Uh, and so anyway, we went to it, and it, like it just it was like there was just full noise passion. From like before the game, like they have tailgating where they all cook barbecues for hours and sit around drinking, uh, and, you know, and playing hacky sack and all sorts of stuff until um, the game starts where it's full noise passion from the minute they turn up to the thing. And it's like I've been to some All Blacks games and it's like, oh man, I thought we were passionate. Like we, we show about 10% of what I saw at a college game. <laughs> And it's like, and so this is a passionate, and every culture you go into, the gospel will critique. Because there's elements that are broken in every culture, but then there's elements of a culture that's like, yes, that's actually what my culture, the kingdom culture, is all about. And as I'm sitting there in this friggin' crazy American football game with 60,000 people that have turned up to watch a local college play American football, and they go bananas for like two or three hours. I felt the Lord say to me, this is a picture of what my kingdom is called to be like. My kingdom people are called to be passionate people. And it really, um, really hit me because I decided to talk about this before I left. So this isn't Sam shooting from the hip. Very clearly, I felt the Lord say to me, we need to be calling our church in this time of history to be a people where passion is greater than the cultural complacency. We normalize passion. It's normal to be passionate in this place because we live in a culture that's got both a combination of misplaced passion and also widespread lethargy and boredom and disconnection. We have both. So there's misplaced passion, disordered desires, where people do get passionate about things that, where it's, it's fine to be passionate about them. Like it's fine to be passionate about modular synthesizers and home theatre and surfing and rugby and all these things. There's nothing wrong with it, but they should never be the greatest passion. That's a disordered passion where it is not in the right priority. It shouldn't be the dominant passion. And so the Lord, I believe, in the church wants to restore the ordered passions of his kingdom where we enjoy all his good gifts, but not at, uh, at, the, at the expense of being primarily passionate about, the, passionate about the gift giver. It's the gift giver. And then out of that, those gifts find their rightful place. But also we live in a culture where, where, honestly, I've never seen it more clearly, and it's the gift of leaving our culture from time to time, where there's so much complacency, weariness, lethargy, detachment, and cynicism that has become normalised in the New Zealand culture. And, uh, and we are not here to build the New Zealand culture. We're here to be an alternative culture, the culture of the kingdom. Yes. 
And the culture of the kingdom was one of passion and sacrifice. And God is on the move internationally. And he's on the move in this nation. And I want to be a part of it. And to be a part of it means that there is an urgency in my heart about this message in particular because I want to see a new normal of passion in this church and in the church in this country. And I want the Lord to restore a new zeal to this land, New Zealand. That's in our name. And it's like, what's happened? It's the enemy goes after the very thing that is our inheritance. And like, man... uh, met God powerfully uh, when I was away this week. Literally, I just felt like the fire hose from heaven just hit me every day. And I'm coming back deeply encouraged because I met God sovereignly. And one of the things that happened, uh, just all these things happen when God just wants to bless you. And at the last session of the conference, a bunch of the uh, intercessors and leaders of the church that we're at were like, hey, we just want to pray for you guys, you Kiwis. Would you come down to the boiler room, which is their prayer room, which is just going full noise the whole time? And, um, and, and then they just began to pray for the church in New Zealand. And you know what they began to do? Break off the lethargy. Break off the cynicism. Break off the lack of passion. And to speak over us again, New Zealand to this land. And I was like, oh, Harvey's got the right sermon for this Sunday. I'm, I'm suddenly going, oh, no, poor Bay Vineyard. They're going to get both barrels. Um, and so in this passage, uh, we, we see Paul's passion. I mean, Paul's like, the things that were gained to me are considered lost for the sake of Christ. I mean, Paul was a top dog in the Israelite world. He was a big deal culturally. The best of the best. He was like, the you know, there is elite there's like an elite cool crew in New Zealand. There's a hierarchy. Rugby players are up there. Well done, boys. You know, if you're in that elite space. Uh, I found out that I wasn't elite anything when I travel internationally. And, you know, and like, you know, it was like, oh, wow, I was right next to the toilets, literally. I've got, I'll have to show you a video of the, we just sat there watching people coming in outside the toilet holes. Um, being on a plane is a tangent. It's like a little prison economy where small things mean a big deal and everyone's working the angle for these little benefits so that your life's slightly better on the inside, you know? Anyway, so Paul's like, man, everything, like all the things that I thought were a big deal are nothing. And like rubbish, like they're rubbish. Rubbish in the Greeks, the closest you've got to a swear word in the Bible. It's a strong word. Like it's crap compared to what? Knowing Christ, knowing Him. Like, mate, when you genuinely get that in your heart, when you've met Him and you encounter Him, like, all of a sudden, all the other things, just, like, they lose their appeal. And there's nothing wrong with being passionate about your job or your income or your status, but it's nothing compared to Christ. It's like it's nothing compared to knowing Him. It's just, it's for whose sake he's lost all things. And then it's like you just, the, the passion of Paul that just drips off the scriptures. This is just but one of squillions of it. The whole Bible is a book of passion. And it's so stirring when you begin to see it. Um, again, I couldn't research anything, so this is all friggin' Harvey. Um, so I'm going to be gutted down the track where I'm discover ways. But here's my best definition of what pa- passion is. Uh, and I'm going to read read something that's going to articulate it far better this week, I'm sure. But for me, I'm like, it's just 
Passion's when I'm like, I, I sacrifice for, for something that I love. So just there's something that I love, and I, and I have a vision of something, and passion is sacrifice. It's like just, it's, it's, this is um, why Jesus' death on the cross is called the passion of the cross. It's the passion of the Christ. It's his death and resurrection on the cross. For that which he loved, he would suffer so that we would know the life. For the joy set before him, he enjoyed it. What was that joy? Us discovering Christ, like Paul just said. That's, and so here's the thing that's just been hitting me, is that sacrifice and passion is the currency of the kingdom. And, like, and uh, we often want to build the kingdom without losing the kingdom of comfort that we've so seriously built around us. And it just doesn't happen. The currency of the kingdom is passionate people willing to sacrifice for this, this city that they love and this church that they love and these people that they love. That's, what it, that's, what it, that's the only way the kingdom advances. Two of uh, my apostolic heroes, the people I've come under in terms of apostolic leadership in my life, uh, uh, John Mark, who had the privilege of spending time with us last week, and, and John Tyson. And these guys, like, they're not... Um, that like, I'm like, man, why is their ministry so anointed? Why are they making such a global impact? Like, what's going, like, what's the deal with these guys? And then, like, over in the States, when I'm talking to these people, like, trying to find out more about them from people that aren't them, people that know them, know them, you know, it's like, oh, these guys are passionate. And it manifests, like, John Tyson, I discovered, has fasted, he's done two 40-day fasts, stacks of 21-day fasts, and he fasts at least one day most week. Ah, uh, oh, maybe that's why. <laughs> There's something going on here with this guy where he's so passionate that it's moved upon theory passion to, to actual grounded passion in terms of like it's been embodied. It's moved from theory to actually activity. John Mark, someone was like, oh yeah, this guy's just spent 21 days on his own with just him and his Bible seeking God. And you're just like, mate, like... You know, I just felt like the fog kind of lifting of like, and I know that uh, you're going to get both barrels this morning, but we can't have a kingdom, the kingdom of God while trying to choose also a kingdom of comfort. You've got to choose which kingdom dictates the priority of your life and the passion of your heart. And the Bible is just like dripping, as I said, with, with passion. Uh, I was working my way through just Matthew's gospel and just trying to look at the, like, where are these moments of passion? And you just can't get past the first page. The genealogy of Jesus are people that were passionate for God. John the Baptist comes along in radical humility and passionate obedience. Jesus begins calling his disciples, follow me, and they passionately and radically leave their income and their nets behind to follow him. Jesus then preaches the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' kingdom manifesto of radical holiness uh, to live a countercultural life that brings human flourishing. But it's not some namby-pamby lifestyle. It's a radical, passionate life. Then you have the faith of the centurion, the hemorrhaging woman, the desperation and the passion there, the Jesus' parables of the, per the pearls of great price, the treasure in the field, where people made passionate, stupid decisions because they found something worth it. The anointing of Jesus. I mean, you just go on and on and on, culminating in the passion of the Christ on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing about Jesus calls us to half-hearted, detached complacency. 
And it's the spirit that moves the kingdom forward. And it's this passion that motivated families to move their lives to plant this church here in the Bay. And it's that passion that called some retired people from the UK to give up these twilight years where they're meant to be mucking around cruising to serve the church. And it's boys and girls in our church who get up every morning at 5.30 to seek Jesus. And it's this passion that sees people like going along to the Father's Collective stuff into our prayer meetings. And it's this passion that sees homegrown courses on the prophetic and prayer meetings and Te Tuatahi and food banks and home churches and huddles and upper cliques engaged with because that's how the kingdom breaks in. Passion is normal in the kingdom of God. But it's interesting, there's this particular moment in Mark's gospel where um, where I think it really speaks to what we're going through in this cultural moment. In Mark 9, Jesus, we read, has this incredible moment called the transfiguration, where the disciples see Jesus in his true state, his divine nature, for the first time, and, all, and there with um, Moses and Elijah, the prophets. And there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on there that's super significant, because um, uh, Peter, uh, Peter makes the mistake, and, and we often do this, of seeing the Bible as a flat text. They're like, oh, let's build three. You know, uh, Moses represents the law, Elijah, the prophets, and Jesus, the, this voice that's now come from God. And they're like, let's build three little t- you know, uh, uh, tabernacles to reflect these three. And God audibly says, no, this is Jesus, my son. Listen to him. So Jesus is the word of God. And all of that, that came before serves to to point to him. You don't use the Bible to ever trump Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. He's the incarnate Logos. And then he comes down from that moment um, at the end of it in Mark 9 and he sees this crowd and they're all stewed up because this demon-possessed child has been brought to Jesus' disciples, but they can't deliver this child. And so Mark chapter 9 Jesus is having this little chat with the father and asking him about it. And he says, oh, often this uh, demon has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. We've, we've just spent the last um, seven, six weeks, seven weeks looking at this idea of live no lies. So the enemy is there to destroy lives, often does it through lies not more normally. But, but there's sometimes this really demonic thing that's going on. And so this kid's going through this stuff. Uh, and then... If you can do anything, take pity on us to help us. And I love this. Jesus like, if you can, you know, everything is possible for one who believes. And this guy's like, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus then delivers this boy. But then the disciples are like, um, in verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive this demon out? And Jesus replied, this kind can, can only come out by prayer. In another gospel, only by prayer and fasting. And here's the thing, in this cultural moment, we've got to know what we're encountering. We're encountering a whole nother level of resistance to God's kingdom. It just feels like that. And what worked before is not working now. The, the, you know, this, this kid gets brought to the disciples and they had delivered children and adults before. But what worked before is not working anymore. We are in the same cultural moment. And like we are foolish to think that we can get any Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, any Graham over here, have a little stadium crusade and we're going to see the kingdom of God break into the world. What worked before will not work now because there's a whole other level of resistance. We've got to have eyes to see that. But what is needed now is a new level of dependence of God and a demonstration of His power. This is the time to press in for more. And, and you, 
live in a secular moment in Western culture where the stuff that impacted before is not working anymore. And God has placed you here, which means that you contain the capacity to seek God for more and to carry more, but you've got to go get it. And fasting and prayer enables a fresh potency and power to be released in the church. And there is such a hunger for God that's beginning to emerge in this church that I'm so thrilled with. Uh, And again, uh, I've just been in an environment that is a picture of where our church will be in 10 years' time if we stay faithful to what He's called us to. But one of the things that was so encouraging is it is, is a culture of prayer because we believe that God hears and answers prayer. And we believe that it's not about snazzy worship and great preaching. It's about the power of God and His presence encountering people. And so you can have all the programs and all the best preaching and worship you want in the world, but unless His presence is with us, it means nothing. And how does that come when people get desperate for Him and are hungry for Him? And so I love like, man, we're going to do it. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute. We're going to have a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting next term because it is time that we press in for more. But I've been kind of talking about this with some folks in our church and I've just been so encouraged because some people haven't been able to wait for the 21 days to start. They've already begun to do things like fasting over the weekend to seek God for more. Lord, let it be more of that, Lord, where we have a hunger for You. And I'm, I'm like, man, I am, I'm in this place of, 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 I'm so hungry for God. And I, I have met him in the last week in fresh power and have had prophetic words in my life, inaccuracy of which I haven't probably had in my life and heard the clarity of his voice in an amazing way. And, um, and me and the team are getting this continued clarified vision of where God is calling us that is ruining us in the best possible way. It's like, Lord, that's something I want to give my life to. That's something I want to be passionate about. I want to see us have a prophetic culture where there's more happening off the stage than on the stage, where we have intercession that's just part of our DNA, where we pour ourselves out for others, where from the cradle to the grave there's a commitment of a discipleship to the way of Jesus, to become like him, to be with him and to do what he would do if he was us, to have a community of love and joy and depth and health of passionate worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And above all, a place of the tangible, powerful, fearful, awesome, loving, tender presence of God. Like that's what we're hungry for. And so some of you guys are hearing this like, and you're like, oh man, just where do I sign up? Like, oh yes, like your leg's twitching and you're like ready to go. It's like, oh, just like, you know. And some people are like, oh no, I'm exhausted Oh no, I have nothing in I just don't want to be, I can't think about this. And I don't, I just know I'm not in a passionate place. And can I just say that sometimes in our 20s we have a passion, but it doesn't have wisdom, and we get burnt out. And therefore we think the problem is passion, but it's not passion, it's wisdom. And sometimes uh, there's been burnout, particularly in toxic church cultures, that have strongly encouraged passion, but without being grounded in how you build the kingdom of God. Because how you build the kingdom of God is not, we don't build the kingdom the world's way. We build his kingdom his way. How we do it is as important as what we're shooting for. Uh, And so sometimes we can try and build the kingdom with the systems of the world, and it will always lead to a soul getting munted. Doesn't matter even if you're trying to build the church, if you do it the world's way, it will bring destruction to your soul. But the problem is not passion. The problem, passion is not the issue. The kingdom, as I said, 
has and always will advance with passionate people. The question is whether this passion is biblically informed, imitating the way of Jesus, imitating the passion of Christ. And so here's some thoughts uh, from close to the heavens, uh, on, um, and which is going to be very accurate, around what I think are some things that, that bring a mature, deep passion. Firstly, um, mature passion isn't about what's going to happen this year. Mature passion is a long-term kingdom vision, is a long-term kingdom dream that's in your heart. Now, here's the beauty, is that every single one of you have a part to play in seeing this church flourish in the kingdom of God advance in the world around us. Everyone is, this is, this preaching bit is but the tiniest bit of what we're called to be as a people. Most of the stuff happens outside this environment. And the Bible says that we are a body made up of many different parts. And so every single person has a unique and important contribution to make around building the kingdom of God. And so the, the, my, my word for you this morning is that you would, uh, by God's Spirit, get a greater clarity around what your part to play is and do it passionately. And not just do it for the short term, but have a vision in your mind around what your part to play is and what that could look like in 10 years if you're faithful. Because most people overestimate what they can do in one year and seriously underestimate what you can do in 10 years. And so, for example, in prayer, so where's Blair? So like with prayer culture, like, you know, we've got a whole bunch of people that are very faithful in prayer and it's, it, it's so exciting because I know that Blair has carried this for a very long time. It's been just a grace on his life for a very long time. And so I saw a whole lot of stuff because I'm, you know, I'm a visionary and I'm a communicator, so I love communicating vision. So I, poor Blair's going to get both barrels about what I've been a part of when we next catch up for coffee because I want to fill him with vision, not just for how we do tonight at our prayer meeting, but what this church can look like in 10 years if we're faithful to build a culture of prayer. And insert the grace on your life. So here's again, there's a, it's grace because there will be a greater clarity about what your part to play is. But it's consistent. You know, I've been labelled a passionate person because I preach like this uh, all of my life. And you know what? In my 20s, I wrestled with it a little bit because it's like, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things I quite like to be known for and passion's maybe one of them, but it's probably not the main thing. And so I'd wrestle with it, but also because I knew um, I'm actually introverted and contemplative. It's probably where I land more than that. So it's like, this is a place where I am passionate, but for the most part, I'm relatively quiet and, and sit, I love silence and solitude and encountering God in those contemplative spaces. But I tell you what, the, when I get that feedback now, it's such a compliment. Because I'm like, if I can be passionate now for 20 years, and if Al can be passionate for, and we won't say, um, you know, <laughs> then there's a depth to that passion that's gone through suffering. And there's a depth to that passion that's navigated discouragement. And there's been times where, where you want to give up, but you've kept moving, Al, and you've kept moving, and you've kept choosing Jesus, and you keep choosing the way of Jesus. Because uh, faithfulness, at the end of the day, is inclusive of feeling. I feel passionate this morning, but it's also beyond feeling. Faithfulness, faithfulness is passion. Sometimes we're full of faith, other times we're just faithful. In spite of what our emotions and senses say, us, even though I walk by faith, not by sight, sometimes the, my senses aren't saying, uh, you know, go team, go Harvey, and all this. I choose the way of Jesus anyway. That's deep faithful, faithfulness. Mature passion prioritizes Sabbath rest because of that long term vision. 
I don't rest for Project South because it's great. I rest because my heart burns to see the kingdom of God break into the bay and to see this church flourish and come hell or high water, we're going to keep persisting in this tricky cultural moment to build radical, passionate disciples. So I Sabbath rest so that I lead from a place of rest, not from a place of adrenaline. Right? So deep passion is rested. It prioritises rest because Sabbath rest is the most ancient spiritual discipline in the Bible that the West seems to have forgotten because it wants to build the kingdom the world's way, not the, not the king's way. And Sabbath rest has always been part of it. So passion will look like I rest passionately for the sake of the kingdom so that your soul flourishes as you give your work to the kingdom. Mature passion is cruciform. Mature passion is not about me. It's about blessing others. But it's the richest way you can possibly live. You've got to pick up your cross and follow the way of Jesus. That's the only way you can follow Jesus, is live a cruciform life. The story does not end on Friday. It ends on Sunday with new life bursting into the world. And so I went to one of the most secular cities in the United States, and I'm like, man, it's just the contrast between the richness of the kingdom of God and the secular vision for flourishing could not be more apparent. And I'm like, man, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Jesus way welded with the Jesus truth leads to the Jesus life. We've got to remember that. Anyway, it's a whole different riff. So, um, and it defies willpower. Again, it's often, it's often a choice. It's not because I feel... Okay. So, passion. Here's the priorities, I believe, in terms of what it looks like to live a biblical uh, life of passion. Firstly, it's passion for Jesus. Number one, passion for Jesus. Passionate to love Him, follow Him, spend time with Him, think about Him, read about Him, draw near to Him. Passionate about Jesus. And again, you know how, how that manifests itself sometimes? We humble ourselves and we say, I choose you, Jesus. This morning we're going to take communion at the end. And I'm going to say to those that want to be filled with fresh passion to come up the front. I'm going to pray that God fills you. And I don't say that because there's anything magical up the front. I say that because you have to humble yourself to come up here. When I went over to the States, uh, I committed I was going to respond to every altar call they gave. And I was like, even if they're like, who's got a sore left ovary? We want to pray for you. I'm like, that'll be me, mate. Like, I'm up there. Fine, whatever, man. Like, and I, I just, and in that moment, do you feel like doing it? I was like, no. But I, I responded to every altar book call because I wanted to let Jesus know I was hungry for him. I wanted him. I wanted to meet with him. And then sometimes I went up there and it was like nothing much was happening. And other times I just like broke through into a whole new space of intimacy and love with him where I heard him speak specific words over my life and it brought healing and freedom. So I want us to be passionate about Jesus, you know. I look around um, when we uh, doing our sung worship, not because I'm a creep, but because, um, but because uh, one of the things I, I want us to be a church of, John 5.19, Jesus says, I just see what the Father's doing and I bless it. So I'm always looking around going, Father, what are you doing? So that we can bless what you're doing. And that's why when we pray at the end of different things, it's often because I've just had the sense of the Lord speak to me about what he's doing. But you know, but honestly, guys, I just long for us to be, have greater passion and worship because it's for an audience of one. It's for him. Like songs are a tool. So the songs aren't worship, they're the tool we use to express our hearts to God. And so I'm like, passion and worship is normal in the kingdom of God. You look at Revelation, we studied it. It's, it's, it's freaky epic in terms of the passion. 
king's laying down their um, thrones. You know, the, when the queen died, this beautiful meme that went round where she said, one of the things I'm looking forward to when I meet Jesus is laying my crown down before him. I wish I could do that. And I'm like, that's worship, passionate worship. I want this to be a church of potency when it comes to hunger for God and love for him. We're not here, first of all, to receive from him. We're first be here to bless him and love him as a church. And so we don't come here as consumers. We come here as worshipers. We say that at the start of every service for a reason because we have been formed to be consumers and we look at church like that. But no, we're here to bless the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So we come here, first of all, we're passionate for Jesus. Nothing is compared to knowing Christ Jesus. We press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And when you're passionate about Jesus, then you get passionate about his church. Now, often pastors um, start there because we want people to be passionate about the church because we sacrifice so that this church will flourish, right? Right? And everyone gets a bit cynical about it after a while. Ooh, the pastor's going to ask us to give and to serve. and to, you know, it's like. But I tell you what, if you feel cynical or, or that about what the church is about, the issue isn't your love for the church, it's the issue is your love for Jesus. You get near to Jesus, you will love his bride. And you know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about this. Uh, as soon as you, like, you love it for its reality, not for what you think it should be. Often everyone gets very frustrated and disappointed relationally here, and you will. I promise you, you will. With me, with everyone. Someone will hurt you, someone will love you. But what we're called to is love it, because through that is the formation of cruciform love. We learn how to love without the expectation that the other person has to nail it and be perfect. The minute that you, and Bonhoeffer said that, the minute that you have an expectation on the church, you will kill it. The minute you have an expectation on the community to be a certain way, that's how people kill community. Your job is to love it in its reality. And that means we have to learn to forgive. And we have to learn to be a people of peace. And we have to lift our walking away point a whole lot. Sometimes churches can get funky and this isn't going to be everyone's perfect fit and blah, blah, blah. Fine, I know that. But at the end of that is his bride. And how does he build his kingdom? Through his people, through his church. Only way does it through his kingdom, through his church. And so uh, I, I would love us to be passionate about this church. And I want us to give. And I want us to serve. And I want us to do all those cool building blocks of what it means to be a healthy community. To give yourself to this thing. Because this church is going to get healthier and healthier the more people get passionate about seeing this community flourish. And like, if you've been in a toxic culture before where you got hurt, I am really sorry. And if you've been hurt in this place, I'm really sorry. But I tell you what, you don't just, it's, it's a big call to, to walk away and say, this thing's a mess and it will never, it's a big, you know, it's a big call to make. Because many churches are very healthy. And I believe this is one of them. And I believe when you get into a healthy church that's grounded in the Word of God, loves the Holy Spirit, stuff can happen. Above your wildest dreams, stuff can happen to send the kingdom break in. And this is what happens. We, but then we just get passionate for his kingdom because the, we're not here to build the church, we're here to build his kingdom. The church is here to connect us to where we really want to go. The church, again, the airport metaphor because I lived in that. People confuse the church uh, uh, with actually the fact that they, 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 often church is like an airport where people think the airport, like they try and build a church like the airport's the destination. <laughs> like, Ma, I don't go to the airport. <laughs> to go to the airport. I went to the airport to get where I really want to go. 
And so the, the church is not the destination. The church is the plane that gets us to the destination of where we really want to go to see the kingdom of God break in. And this is, mate, again, like I'm just coming back, just going, church, if, I have seen with my own eyes in the last, uh, last week or so what it looks like for a church to be 10 years down the road of the very things that we've committed to. Everything we are about, they're about, they're just a bit a lot more down, 10 years down the track. And I'm just looking around with tears pouring down my face every day, going, Lord, let it be. And I'm just whispering, it will be, mate. It will be if you continue to be faithful to what he's called you to do in the bay. It's a secular area that this Bridgetown church is in, a secular area that this church is in. If God can do it there, He can do it here. Yes, Lord, let it be. To see His kingdom break in. To see God's goodness and His beauty and His healing and His kingdom come. And so again, but how does the kingdom advance through passionate people that love Jesus, love His church, and give everything to see the kingdom of God come? Come to land with this. I was listening to a, a podcast by Pete Gregg who, uh, who rebooted the 24-7 prayer movement that the Moravians had started back in the day where they prayed for 24-7 continuously for over 100 years. And out of that, the world literally got changed. I mean, there's stories and stuff. I won't go into it. Pete, got, Pete Gregg got very moved by that. And in this little church about our size, slightly bigger, um, they started another 24-7 prayer movement that went viral. And he was saying in this podcast, like, man, that sounds super intense. All you need is 24 people deeply committed to prayer who will commit to one hour a day, and then immediately you've got 24-7 prayer happening in your church. That's why I'm like, Lord, give me 24 committed people. We're away. Come on. <laughs> anyway, in this, in this uh, podcast, this guy's like, well, so tell us, like, what do you see God doing in the church at the moment? And he says this, he said this, it's binary, we have two options. We can either circle the wagons, lick our wounds and say, thank goodness we survived that and only lost 10% of our people. Or we can come out of it saying, we're going to need to really do some damage. We've got to come out of this fighting, swinging. And as, he's, as I'm listening to this a couple of weeks ago in the car, the Holy Spirit's in the car and I'm driving along, like, oh yes. We've got to come out of this crazy couple of years swinging for the kingdom. Because, again, this passion, the passion I'm talking about is not passion that comes from people like using energy that they simply don't have at the moment. Passion comes when we learn that His power is made perfect in weakness, not strength. And so because we have a dependency on God, we can have a godly passion that's fueled by the Holy Spirit, not because of the energy that we have. Our weakness is a gift in this season. And so now I'm like, hallelujah, let's come out swinging. Let's come out swinging. And then he goes on to say, every single revival in history has two things in common. Number one, it begins with a shaking in society of some kind. There's no exception to the rule. Revival does not come to a comfortable culture. Secondly, and this is a guy who's studied revival in depth. Secondly, without exception, there has to be a response. Sometimes very small, sometimes on a large scale of humility and prayer to the shaking that is going on in society. It is a key time for us to humble ourselves and cry out to God, says Pete Gregg. I'm like, yes, it is. It's time for us to have a holy ambition for the things of the kingdom of God, coupled with a sacred pace that sees us be able to live passionately, consistently for potentially decades for the things of God's kingdom. Because at the end of the day, all radical love will seem unreasonable in a lukewarm culture, and all sacrifice will seem extreme in a time of comfort. But we're not called here to build this culture, we're called to build the culture of the kingdom. 
And so to that end, um, uh, we're going to have a season in response to what we believe the Lord calling us to of 21 days of prayer and fasting, starting on Sunday the 30th of October, which is a little while away, but I wanted to have some runway to be able to speak to it uh, and to get, and also gives our team time to get some stuff ready, 30th of October through to the 19th of November. And there's two themes that I believe that we're called to intentionally pray for over this time of prayer and fasting. Uh, the first thing is provision. We need a building. Like we are hemmed in. Like it's, it's moved from the occasional frustration to every staff meeting. We're looking at our serious limitations because we don't have a facility. Now, we pitched this at the end of last year uh, and we, you know, saying like, we think that the Lord's calling us to begin to walk into this. And there was, and I said, like, you don't say that lightly. We've been praying into it, but I said, now I want discernment as to whether we think this is a yes and amen from us as a community. And unequivocally, there was a yes from our community. But we didn't ask for any money, but by the end of that Sunday, we had a pledge of $50,000 and an interest-free loan gift of $500,000 when we started to do this. And we just began this thing of like, yes, there's something on this. And so uh, we've begun to, you know, to, to try and navigate that. Um, but it's felt tricky, to be honest. It's been like, man, this is like, how do we do this and the rest of it? Um, and Megan, annoyingly, who's uh, helping us on some of the building stuff, um, I was talking to her about this a little while ago, and she said, I just think we've, we've actually got to start with fasting. And we have to lay a spiritual foundation before we see the physical foundation. And you, you know the little lean on the doorpost conversations that you have after church. And I'm like, oh no, Lord, no, please no. I've got a black belt in feasting. I don't have a black belt in fasting. No, Lord, no. Uh, and then all the stuff I've just preached to you got deposited of my spirit. And I was like, oh man. And here's the thing: when we started to talk about the building, the number one commitment we made was radical obedience to how God wanted to do it. Radical obedience. And so I know in, deep down in, in my knower that the next step for us is fasting and prayer. Lord, we need this. And we are not going to take up an offering at the end of that 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, there will be a time where we need sacrificial and passionate and radical generosity and that uh, for a building from our congregation. But this is the time for radical and passionate prayer. That's the next step for us as a community. And so um, we are going to uh, pray and ask for God's provision. Now, whenever we go through a season of prayer and fasting, the themes uh, will be both uh, desperately praying that God will stir you up with the yes and amen in your spirit, and you'll move beyond hearing it to doing it, Sermon on the Mount, application, blah, 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 where you're like, what does it look like for me to take part in this? But whenever we do things that are for the corporate, there's breakthrough in the personal. And so there may be provision that you need personally in your life, and so I'm like, yeah, we're praying for provision. So where's that relation, that, that ship that needs healing? Or where's that breakthrough or for someone in your family or whatever it is? Absolutely, pray for God's provision. We need breakthrough, Lord, here. So that's the food. The second thing, though, is his presence. That's the number one thing. I started with number two. We, we finished with number one. The number one thing we're praying and fasting for is just more of him. The building's great, but, the number, but what is it there to house his presence and the work of his kingdom? It's like we, 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 we're after him. I want to come into land by reading from Psalm 27. Um, and uh, this is probably Blair's life verse or chapter, but I love it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
And I just feel like this is a cultural thing for us. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. But this one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And it goes on and on and on. And my heart says of, of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Again, we need a people in this cultural moment where the things in the past aren't working anymore and most churches and pastors are seriously discouraged. We say, no, it's his power and his presence. That's what, and how do we get that? Through prayer and fasting. And you are positioned in a time of history to be a people who carry his power and his presence. You've just got to reach out and grab it. And so I don't know what this is going to look like for you, but I'm giving you lots of warning so that when we start that 21 days, you have a clarity in your own heart around what your part to play is. And every time we call our church to 21 days of prayer and fasting, my challenge is this, just go the next step, the next click to what you've done in the past. Just keep moving the temperature, the, the dial up a click. So if you've only done like a, a social media fast or something, which isn't actually fasting, it's more abstinence, that's fine. But no, there's nothing wrong with that. For some people, that's a big challenge. But say you just do that, but how about you just do one day a week over those 21 days? It'd be a stretch for you, and then see what God does. But, you know, I, I'm unashamedly calling us to sacrifice. I'm unashamedly calling us to move from complacency and being a spectator to being all in with your heart around pursuing Jesus, seeing this church flourish and seeing the kingdom of God advance in this place. I'm unashamedly calling you to step up because we cannot do it by just the, the lethargy that's become normalized in our culture. We need that broken in Jesus' name. And we need not just one or two passionate people. We need a church of passionate people. And then you know what God can do with a group of people that are up for it? Beyond your wildest imaginings, Paul says in Ephesians. Beyond, and trust me, I've got big dreams. I'm like, seriously, I, I, I wrestle with that scripture because I'm like, I've got big dreams. I'm a visionary for what God can do through the small number of people in this church, in this region. I didn't move up here just to have a comfortable church. I want my life to be, to be part of seeing God's kingdom break in. I want us to be a part of a church that doesn't just talk about Jesus, that actually follows Him. I want to be part of a community that actually picks up their cross and is willing to suffer and willing to join in the passion of the Christ so that the resurrection of God would break into this world. That's what I long to see. So I'm calling us, church, unashamedly to be a people of passion in this time and that we'd humble ourselves before the Almighty God that would seek his face and that would pray and fast and see him. And so uh, you can start before this date. I'd love us to have normalized. I'm going to talk next week about fasting, and that's the whole thing going to be about why fasting is so potent. Um, and I have a bit more time to prep. But it's like, but guys, you, like we've, got to, we've got to start breaking through here in terms of our average week looking like a passionate week for Jesus. Our typical week being a passionate week for Jesus. And again, that's not by us trying to grit our teeth. It's him, us being open, firstly humbling ourselves, and then he pours in his spirit. And what's his spirit? It's passionate. 
When his spirit enters our spirit, we become a passionate people because he's a passionate God, because he's passionate for you. He's passionate for us and he's passionate for And we have the joy of being part of it. I've seen his kingdom come. What a, that's, of all the things you could give your life to, there is nothing more satisfying than pouring it out for Jesus, his bride, and his kingdom. Nothing beats it. And I know that's a wrestle, but I invite you one more time to say yes to Jesus. Let's stand together.